0: You are the Lord who gave this prophecy, Father, this word. It strengthens us. We always open our Bibles and look for direction. We're always dependent upon You to show us what Your will is. Lord, I pray that today's teaching and exhortation would come directly from Your heart and build us up. As we see this long task that is now finally completed, stir up our own hearts. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Verse 14 is a summary of the first six chapters of this book. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu. They built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel, according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. There is nothing more frustrating than beginning a project and not seeing it completed, of embarking upon some kind of an endeavor, only to have it fail, only to have it flop all of the time and the energy, the work, the planning. Especially if that project is one that lasts months or years. Only to see it fail is completely frustrating. Well, that's how it was with this temple. They had come back into the land. God told them to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They thought, great, let's go for it. They started building it. Only to meet opposition after opposition after opposition. And because of all of the opposition from the enemies, they started thinking, well, what is the use? And so they became apathetic. They started hanging out. They weren't doing the will of the Lord. Well, we come to chapter 6 and it's finally done. Amidst all of the apathy and the opposition, the work of the Lord is completed in the building of the temple. Which goes to show that good things, even things that are purposed by God and planned by God, don't always come easy. It always isn't just an easy flow of things, doors always open. God just makes it smooth, that's how His will works. This was the will of God, and it was tough, and it took a long time, and it was hard. Look at Paul's journeyings. Everywhere he went, he had opposition, but it was in the will of God. Look at the Exodus from Egypt. That was in the will of God to take His people out of Egypt and give them to a new land, but it was tough. It was a long task, and now the task is completed. It says in verse 14, the elders of the Jews built and they prospered. They prospered. This is a word that is used 65 times in the Old Testament. Where God prospers his people. Now, this does not necessarily refer to big bucks. It doesn't mean that the elders of the Jews drove Mercedes. And that God gave them a big checkbook. The word prosper means succeeding in an endeavor for the Lord. It is directly related to doing a work called by God. It literally means to advance. It is the opposite of doing something that flops. It means you go out on a venture and you do a certain kind of work and it succeeds. It prospers. It doesn't end up in failure. Finally, after 23 years, the temple was built. After 23 long years of opposition and apathy, the temple is built. They prospered. It's interesting that this word is sometimes translated victory in the Old Testament. Same Hebrew word translated victory, translated prosperous, same word. It speaks of a person or a nation that is victorious over the circumstances, over the opposition, over the enemy, over the discouragement of the enemy, as Satan would come into us and try to discourage us and divert us from the will of God, from the plan of God. It is having victory over that. Satan always comes in and tries to cause discouragement, tries to come to you and whisper to you or even yell at you and say, give it up, Christian. You've been trying to be successful in this endeavor for the Lord a long time and it hasn't worked, so just give it up. To be prosperous is to be victorious. To be prosperous means that you are moving ahead in the will of the Lord. There is nothing more frustrating than not being able to do the will of God, but there's nothing more rewarding than completing a task that God has given you to do. I can't think of a more exciting lifestyle than living in the center of God's will and moving, moving ahead, advancing in the will of the Lord. There's no greater place of fulfillment that as life lived on the highest possible plane is lived in the center of the will of God. Now, Satan will give you a different message because of his PR work, he causes many people to think that to do the will of God is the greatest displeasure that there is. Oh, yeah, just surrender your life to the Lord. It's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be a real drag, but do it anyway. And so because of Satan's PR work, a lot of people think that doing the will of God is a drag. I have a newspaper article out of the L.A. Times. Um, A young kid from Hollywood High School. This is what he said. I often think of Satan as a cool dude, since he controls one part of the supernatural. He tends to let you be on your own to do what you want to do, whereas God wants to put you in a jail cell. Now that's how a lot of people look at doing the will of God. It's just a real drag. There is no greater fulfilling lifestyle than living at that level of advancing in the will of God, as the word here is victory or prosperous. Advancing forward in the will of God. I can't think of a better way to live than verse 14 where it says, the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of these two men. Now, how do we advance? How can we as Christians be constantly moving ahead, not moving sideways? You know what that's like. It seems like your life isn't really going anywhere. You're just making lateral motion. You're not really advancing anywhere toward the goal that God has for you. And that's frustrating. How do we advance? How do we go forward? How do we tap into the will of God? How do we tune in to what He wants us to do so that we're making motion and advancing, being prosperous in the work that God wants us to do? Would you believe me if I told you that right now in this auditorium, there's all sorts of music being played? Right now there's acid rock going through this auditorium. Right now there's jazz music. There's beautiful symphony orchestras, music all through this auditorium. Or if I told you that right now there's all sorts of different pictures inside this room. There's soap operas, there's cartoons. Right in the air, right now. All it takes is for you to have the proper receiver. Some kind of an apparatus with an antenna or batteries. Some kind of a device that can pick up on the waves shooting through this auditorium, like a radio or a television to get those pictures. But they're present. All it takes is tuning in to the right frequency. In making an advance in the kingdom of God... And moving in his will, it takes having the ability to be tuned in to the voice of the Lord. To listen to him. To know where his voice is coming from and what to do with it. And so we look in this verse and we get a few keys to being able to do that. To moving in the will of God, to making an advance, to completing a long task. First of all. The elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edu. That is, they listened to faithful messengers to get God's message. In receiving God's will, they listened to faithful messengers, and those faithful messengers are named Haggai and Zechariah, who are two prophets. You know what's interesting about this verse is that this is a building project. This is a building project. This is not a church service we're talking about. We're talking about building a temple. What's interesting to me is the two individuals named are not architects or contractors. It doesn't say, now the temple was built and they prospered because they had two great architects, three awesome general contractors and a great crew of workers. Now, I'm sure they had great people working. But the people... That it mentions our two prophets, simply because, although it is a building project, it is the work of the Lord. And these two people provided impetus. They were catalysts in doing God's work. You see, when the people of Israel returned from the Babylonian captivity, and they entered Jerusalem, that's what we're dealing with here, they saw their temple completely broken down. Only the foundation stones were showing They knew it was the will of God to complete the temple because the prophets, these two guys said, start building the temple of the Lord. This is God's will for your lives. Get at it. However, because of the opposition, they began to slack off. They thought, oh, this is a hard job. And they started building their own homes, planting their own gardens, setting up their own school system. Doing all of the things that normal people do to live normal lives. Well, these prophets came along again and they said, come on, you guys, get going. Do the will of the Lord. And through their exhortations and through their promises, the temple was rebuilt. I want us to look at these two guys. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. In your Old Testament, turn to the book of Haggai. Now, that might be a hard book to find in all of those minor prophets, If you find Zephaniah, you can turn right. If you find Zechariah, you can turn left. But fish through it and find Haggai chapter 1. If you happen to have my Bible, New King James Cyclopedic Index, it's on page 1049. I want to tell you about these two guys and why this is significant. Haggai was one of those fire and brimstone preachers. He didn't really care about how he was received as much as did he say what God wanted him to say. He was more or less a holiness preacher. He told people to live righteously before the Lord. He had some pretty stiff exhortations. Very simple, but very bold. In the book of Haggai, which is written at the same time, let's look at verse 2, his very first sermon. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying... This people says, speaking about the Israelites, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. See, they were saying, well, it's just not God's timing yet. I know God wants us to build the temple, but it's just not the right time. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And then the next phrase, many of us can relate to. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You see, they were becoming apathetic. They were saying, it's just not God's timing to build his temple yet. Well, they were building up beautiful homes on their own and building up their own kingdoms. They're being rebuked. Now, his second sermon isn't very long. In fact, it only has one point. It only has one phrase over in verse 12. Look what happens. Then Zerubbabel... The son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, with all of the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God sent them. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. End of sermon. He promises that God will prosper their work. So the Lord stirred up the people, or excuse me, the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Now, right next to Haggai, you notice it says the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was also preaching to the people to get it, move on, start building the temple. He was a little different. He had a different style. Zechariah was younger. He was a little more charismatic. He received eight visions from the Lord rather than preparing sermons from the Lord. And he says over in chapter 1, verse 13, The Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry and they helped, but with evil intent. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched over Jerusalem. My point is that the temple work, which was beginning to be slackened, they picked it up again and they started doing it simply because these two men who were messengers of God through their teaching and through their exhortation prompted the people to do the work of God. So that step number one, they had a listening ear to the message of God through the messengers of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has placed different people in the body of Christ. He says he's put pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, and so forth, so that they might build up the body of Christ, so that the body of Christ will do the work of the ministry. That is, the work of the ministry is not my job. It's our job. I become a catalyst. And people who are called to be evangelists or preachers or whatever are called to motivate through the teaching of the Word people into action to do the will of the Lord. And there's different people with different styles. The church that I was spiritually brought up in the last 15 years was under the pastorate of Pastor Chuck Smith. And he's very mellow, you know, and he talks like this and just teaches the people. And everybody loves Chuck. Loves that simple, basic, soft teaching. Every now and then when he goes out of town, he has his assistant pastor, Romaine, speak. Now Romaine is an ex-marine sergeant. And he ministers like one. He's very simple and he says, Would you get off your duff and serve God? Somebody is obviously a Romanite here. And I'll tell you what. Both of them compliment one another. There's teaching and then there's exhortation. Go for it. Do it. Now, some people don't like him. Some people don't like Chuck. I remember taking a girl to church sometime and she would say, I don't like the way he shared that. And I used to have to defend these guys all the time until I finally said, You know what? That's your problem. I'm not going to offend these guys. They're God's messengers. If God has something for you, fine. But that's between you and the Lord. The programs that you hear on the radio or the programs you hear on the television or the studies you hear at your church are messages of God to God's people. How about looking at them as this is something God wants for me. Rather than nudging your husband or wife or saying, i got to get this for somebody else. How about saying, is this God's will for me? Is this God's word for me? Is he speaking a message to his messengers to me? When the temple was finally finished, there's a parallel passage in Nehemiah chapter 8. They found a scroll of the law, the Old Testament, the first five books of Moses, And they gave a Bible study that lasted four hours. Imagine a four-hour Sunday morning sermon through the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you know what? The people stood. They didn't even sit. They stood in their place. And they listened attentively, the Bible says. And as they heard the Word of God, they began to weep. You know why? Because they didn't say, good message for Joe. They learned to view listening to the Word of God as part of their worship rather than an intellectual exercise. They said, Lord, do you have a message for me today? Could this possibly be for me? No, I know I'm really good at all that, but maybe you'd even want to speak to me. And they did. They listened attentively. They responded to the Lord in their worship. And God had a message for them. The Bible says that the Bible is alive, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce even to the division of the soul and the spirit between the joints and the marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Pretty descriptive, isn't it? The Word of God can touch what no surgeon's scalpel can touch. It can cut deep down and deal with the heart attitudes, the way we think, the way we live, the way we look at things. Now, it may hurt a little bit when you listen to certain of God's messages. It may cut to the heart and go, ooh, but if you come with the right attitude, you will change. We have a preoccupation with analyzing things. How was the content of this? Does that second point relate to this first point? You know, he mispronounced that word. How about listening? Instead of worrying about content, how about intent? What is it meant to do? How is it to be received? The men who built the temple received the word of Haggai and Zechariah and it changed the way they did the work of God and built the temple. Instead of going out and having roast preacher every Sunday morning, how about saying, Lord, do you have a word for me? Are you speaking to me? Approach the scripture like you would a meal. When I sit down to a meal, I'm serious. I'm totally involved. I don't take a piece of steak and say, I wonder if this steak is for Gino. I hope that he has his meal, but I'm involved. I'm serious. (laughs) Approach your time of church, Bible study, kinship as God. What do you have in it for me? Yes, you should be concerned about how you can minister to others, but when it comes to the message of the Lord... Lord, am I listening? Is my antenna up? Am I receiving your will, your direction for my life? What if you were able to have a counseling session with Jesus, with God? What if Jesus had an office here at Calvary Chapel? And He would allow you to come in once a week and He'd disciple you. And week by week, he'd sit you in his chair and he'd lean over his desk and he would just begin to guide and direct your week, specifically your week. You'd say, man, I'd really listen. Well, that's what he's doing every time you open your Bible and come to church. He is seeking to direct your life through the word of God, through the messengers of God that God has placed in your midst. You are to receive it. And to act upon it. So number one, develop a listening ear. Develop a listening ear. Lord, are you speaking to me through this person? Second of all, notice in verse 14. Not only did they prosper through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edu, Notice the next sentence. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel. And according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. They listened to the messages that God gave them through the prophets, but it says they finished building according to the commandment of God. Step number two, follow through with the command. Listen and then follow through with the command. You know, in any kind of a sport that requires arm motion, be it golf, tennis, racquetball. At least what I've been told by people who've coached me is that the most important part of that whole swing is follow through. I've had people look at me and I'm out there and I'm going to swing my golf club. And they say, Skip, you're doing all the right things except you're not following through on the ball. You're stopping short of it. You know what to do, but now follow through with it. Same in tennis. Put the racket back. Don't stop. Follow through all the way through. That is one of the secrets to making it work. So it is with spiritual truth. Follow through with what you hear. Don't let it remain upon the note pages in the bulletin. Follow through with the truth. For remember, Jesus said, take heed what you hear. But you know what he also said? Take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. When he spoke about the truth in John 17, his prayer was, Lord, don't... He didn't say, Lord, I pray that they will understand the truth. He said, Lord, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Change them by the message. Help them to live the message. The Apostle John, in his letter, said, I have no greater joy... Than to see the people that I have ministered to, whom he calls my children, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. No greater joy than to see people apply the word of God and follow through with the truth. But there's nothing more frustrating than to see people oppose the word of truth simply by not doing it. Simply by not applying the message. We had a counselor here at the church, Carol, wonderful counselor. And people would come in and pour out their hearts and Carol would say, were you here the last couple months at church? She said, yeah. I said, well, do you remember when we went through this in the Bible and this in the Bible and that? Well, yeah, I guess. So she goes, here's some of the tapes exactly on the question you're asking. Go listen to it and go do it. Just follow through with the truth that's in the word that you already know. Go apply it. A teacher wrote to his student once, and this is what he said. He said to the student, you remind me of an irritated individual trying desperately to balance himself on a bicycle standing still. If you'd only pedal and start forward, the vexation would disappear. If you gave it momentum and a direction, you might run into something. You might have an accident but you'd certainly no longer be bored and you might possibly get somewhere. Good exhortation. Dwight L. Moody, it is reported, once gave a sermon on a Sunday morning. Everybody said, oh, that's a good sermon. And the elders came up, oh, that's a good sermon. The next Sunday he preached the very same sermon. Everything exactly the same. And one of the leaders of the church, a little tiffed with him, said, what are you going to preach another sermon? And Moody said, when you learn to live this one. The church is turning into a lecture hall. Sermon listening is becoming an intellectual experience. Dr. J.I. Packer said, The joy of Bible study is not in the fun of collecting esoteric tidbits about Gog and Magog, Cain and Methuselah, Bible Numerics and the Beast, 666, nor is it the pleasure intense for the tidy-minded of analyzing our translated text into preacher's pretty patterns with neatly numbered headings held together by apt alliteration's artful aid. Rather, it is the deep contentment that comes of communing with the living Lord into whose presence the Bible takes us, the joy which only His own true disciples know. When God spoke to the prophet Samuel, Eli had enough intelligence to tell him, if God speaks to you again, you must respond by saying, Speak, Lord, your servant, what? Hears. Which is a word that means to listen with the intention of obeying. Speak, Lord, because whatever you tell me, I will do it. I will listen and I will follow through with what you want me to do. I have had people come in for counseling and when they come in for counseling and I can see the kind of questions they're asking. They are uncertain about if they're in the will of the Lord or not. Whether it's their dating relationship or their marriage or their business. I say, now I'm going to ask you a question and your answer to this question will determine how long this counseling session will go. Once you find out from the Word of God what you are to do, what direction you're to go in, are you willing to do whatever you find out according to the Word? Even if it means costing you the relationship that you're in right now. I'm not saying it will, but if you find out the will of the Lord and it's the opposite direction against the grain of what you want, are you willing to lay down what you want and obey the Lord? The answer to your question will determine if this counseling session ends now or continues for an hour. If they say, well, yes, I am as long as, then I say the counseling session is over. I have no more words. If you're not willing to obey the Lord, what good is it? Yes, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. Fine, let's go at it. Let's follow through with the truth. One person said that God is like a coach in the sense that He doesn't just want to convey right information to people. But He is like a coach training people, watching their every move, drilling their actions, wanting to change their behavior and to correct disciplined behavior, following through with the truth. So number two, a dedicated life. Number one, a listening ear. What are you saying to me, Lord? Are you speaking to me? And then number two, a dedicated life, following through with the truth. Finally, notice in verse 14, they built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. They listened to God's faithful messengers, the prophets. They followed through with the commandment. And they watched for the natural flow of circumstances that God put in their lives. They watched for the natural flow of circumstances that God put in their lives. You know what's interesting about this verse is that there's a combination going on. A combination of the work and the will of God and the work and the will of three kings The interesting thing about these kings is that they were all heathen kings. They worshipped many gods. They did not worship the one true God. Yet there's a combination. The command of God and the command of these three kings. Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. In chapter 1, you don't need to turn to it. It says that God stirred up or motivated the spirit of Cyrus. To do His will. The Lord will use often the most unlikely people in accomplishing His will. We see how that He used two prophets who were surrendered to Him, who were willing, who were obedient. But He also used people who weren't His followers, who weren't tuned into Him. There's a combination. What we see here is God working out supernaturally His plan in a very natural way. Through a letter. Through the decree of three kings. Israel returned from captivity to Jerusalem. How? Well, God spoke about it. God prophesied that it would happen. Yeah, but how did they do it? Through a letter. Cyrus said, let him go home. They built the temple according to the prophets. But how did they do it practically? By a letter. Artaxerxes wrote a letter and said, use our tax money to build the temple. So we see God supernaturally working in a very natural flow of circumstances. A lot of us complicate the will of God thinking it is so difficult to find it out. Oh, I just want to know God's will. How can I know God's will? How do you know you don't know God's will? Maybe you're doing God's will. Yeah, but it's just so natural. I haven't seen angels. The Red Sea hasn't parted. When they came back to Jerusalem, there was no angel smiting the enemies on the way. There was no opening of the Red Sea, no opening of the Jordan River this time. It was very, very natural. Yet it was according to the plan of God. I heard of a guy one time who would get up in the morning and was so preoccupied with doing the right thing in the will of the Lord. Literally, he would go outside of his front door, thinking he was going to work, but he'd say, now, Lord, I think I should go to work, but I'm not certain. Maybe I should be flexible to you now. Imagine telling his boss this. Lord, do you want me to turn left or shall I turn right? And he'd wait a while until he felt like the Lord said, turn right or left, and as he got in his car and he went down the street at a stoplight, he said, Now, Lord, which direction should I go in? Should I go straight or should I turn right or left? Or is there somebody in a house next door I should stop and talk to? He said he was so frustrated because he thought that every single little tiny thing he had to ask and get a vision from God and the big beautiful things had to open up before him. And that's the will of God. Then I heard of another guy who used to take out ten pennies. And he'd say that he knew that if God wanted him to do something, if he flipped all the pennies and it was all heads, he knew that it meant yes. If he flipped all the pennies and it was mixture, it meant no. Well, consequently, the guy never did much for the Lord. (laughs) Because what are the odds of all ten pennies turning up heads? Listen to a very simple principle. The scripture says in James, if any of you lack wisdom, any takers? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all men and won't hold back. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So that's what I do. I'm faced with a situation. Now you want to see how supernatural this is? I'm faced with a situation. I haven't seen any magnificent vision or leading. I say, okay, Lord, I need to make a choice. Give me your wisdom, Lord. I give my life to you. I lack wisdom in making this choice. Please give me your divine wisdom. Then you know what I do? I trust that God has given me his wisdom. For it says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. I make a decision that I think is the best choice. And I say, Lord, I believe that I have made the choice you wanted me to make. I've trusted you for it. I'm making the right choice because I've given you my life. I've asked you for your wisdom. You told me to ask you for your wisdom and I've done it. So I believe that my life becomes the unfolding will of God as I live that way. Very naturally. Now, I give God the freedom to make changes, to do anything supernatural. And sometimes he does but I just simply ask God for wisdom, watch the natural flow of circumstances, and go with it. However, when I look back on my life, I am amazed at how God seems to just weave my life with certain people at just the right time. And it looks, as I look back, so supernatural. But as I'm living in it, it seems so normal. It is. It is supernaturally Natural. People ask me, well, how did you move to Albuquerque? What was it like? I didn't get a vision of Albuquerque. An angel didn't say, Albuquerque. <laughs> you know what I did? I made a phone call, looked at a map, had a prayer, and I, th- I said, Albuquerque, I think I'll go to Albuquerque. Talked to a friend, and we went. How did you marry your wife? Same kind of a way. In a sense, her dad called me up. <laughs> Folks, as you listen to God's messages through God's messengers, apply them to yourself, follow through with the commandments that God is giving you, your guidance will be a natural result and a natural part of that. We're so concerned about guidance. But we should be concerned about the guide himself. Just know the guide. Just learn to love the guide. Know who the guide is. Learn to please him. And you're being guided is a very natural result of that. It's very easy to flow inside the will of the Lord. One message that is clear here is the sovereignty of God. God purposed to build a temple and it was built. His will was definite. It got done. However... Although God is sovereign and God will ultimately accomplish what He wants to do, don't you want to cut of the action? Don't you want to be on the cutting edge knowing that you're part of that flow? Then do these three things. Listen, do, and watch. Listen to the voice of God as the Word of God goes forth. Apply it to yourself. Go out and do it. And then watch as the things God puts in your life, the natural flow of circumstances, and just flow with it. It's time to take the words of these pages and do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us direction supernaturally through your word in a very natural way. In an auditorium sitting down with our Bibles open. Lord, I pray that we will listen as your spokesmen speak. Of course, we will balance it out, Lord, with what your word says. And not just take everything at face value, but listen. Lord, I also pray that you'd give us the obedience to follow through as you told Joshua to meditate day and night in the word and then to do everything according to what was written. Then he would make an advance or be prosperous and have success. And Lord, open our eyes to see the very natural work that you're doing in our lives that seems so normal, so uneventful, but is so right in Jesus.